Hey everyone, it's Pastor Eddie from River of Life. Just want to say thank you for joining us on our podcast. Now let's get ready to hear a word from the Lord today. What does God want to speak to our hearts today? So come on, open your Bibles, open your hearts, and let's get into the Word. Amen. Hallelujah. Get our hearts ready for the Word today. Listen, we... uh wasn't intended on being a series, but it ended up being a little mini-series. It might be the last one in the series today. I don't know. I've been going every week on this, but we're talking about breaking cycles. Breaking cycles. And I just want us right now to just stop right now. Hallelujah. And just get our minds back on the Lord right now. I really believe in these messages. I pray. I seek the Lord. I put a lot of time in these messages. Many of you know that, been coming for a while. And I know that we depend on the Word of God, or we um, maybe not depend, but when you come and you hear preaching, if you're like me, if you need to hear a word from the Lord, you believe and you know that God can speak through the preaching. How many believe that? I know River of Life, you believe that, you know that. And so I don't take these messages lightly. And so I know whatever's going on today, Can you just put that aside and open your heart and mind right now and see what the Lord wants to say to you, to you. Forget about all the people that's here. Those of you watching online, I don't know where you are. Hopefully you're not in a place of distraction. But I believe the Lord wants to break some cycles. He wants to break a cycle in your life. So, Father, right now, we have worshipped you. We have prayed. We have remembered and taken communion. Father, for the next few minutes, we just give you permission to speak into our life, that you would break cycles that many of us have been stuck in, and Father, you would break them, God, that we could come out of these cycles into your promised land, into that double portion, maybe even, as Elisha is, as we're reading today. But I pray that cycles would be broken today. These cycles that sometimes we fall right back into. These unhealthy cycles. These unhealthy religious patterns. Father, I want them broken today. Father, help us to come deeper in our faith with you today. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Second Kings chapter 2. Why don't you stand with me? Open your Bibles to Second Kings chapter 2 today. Hallelujah. A cycle, Webster's Dictionary has the word cycle as a series of events that are regularly repeated in the same order. Cycles happen all around us, even right now. Our weather patterns, if you, when you step outside, you'll notice that we are in a cycle in Michigan, in the United States. This is a season, the whole world actually is, you know, we are in seasons. A new season is upon us. It's getting darker a little sooner. Some of us are sad. Some of us are thankful. Some of us love fall. Some of us love football, then fall. So we know this means a lot of different things. But we're in a cycle. Cycles are everywhere. Schools are in a cycle. Our appetites are in a cycle. Our eating habits. Some of you just ate, so you're okay. But others are not. Your cycle of wanting to eat is starting to stir up right now. Cycles. But we even see cycles in our spiritual life. And let me tell you that God also operates in cycles. He used a calendar with seven annual feasts that would be repeated. These were created around seven holy days, and they were intended to keep God's people centered and in good cycles and out of bad cycles. The enemy, he has bad cycles. He loves to trap God's people in these cycles. One of them is fear and discouragement and depression. And we looked at that for two weeks with Elijah, how he got into the cycle uh, over and over again of depression, of discouragement and wanting to quit. There's a cycle of comparison and then envy. You're feeling really good and then you begin to find yourself in this cycle of comparing yourselves and 
envy and jealousy and not good enough. And so it's a cycle. You do good for a while, but you fall back into the, one of these cycles. And the enemy loves to do that. The cycle of sin and bondage. And the enemy loves to keep us in these cycles. And it's just a life that is, that is just like a roller coaster. And it's just not a fun roller coaster. It's kind of like the big slide at Belle Isle. How many feel emotionally you've been on the big slide at, big, at Bell Isle? Come on, somebody. Those of you watching outside of the area, look it up. The enemy loves that. He loves to get us into this thing. And we think we go down, we go down at this time and it get better. This time it's going to get better. And it don't because there, there has to be a, a something broken in the spirit in order for us to move forward. There has to be a spiritual... Uh, thing happen, an awakening, something in the spirit realm that breaks a lot of these cycles off of our lives. And so today, I want to talk about breaking the wilderness cycle. Breaking the wilderness cycle. Wilderness stands for many things, but today it's going to represent the season of wandering around and a cycle of in the wilderness and never getting to the promised land. Most of the Old Testament is re- records the story of God's people were stuck in a wilderness and they never reached the promised land. We're going to look at Elijah today and Elisha. And if I can summarize this message right now, those note takers, if you're taking notes, What this message is about, I can put it in one sentence. It's simply about not getting stuck in the wilderness or in the wandering season, but crossing over into the promised land. And we've been looking at Elijah, but today I want everyone to see yourself in Elisha shoes. So there's two people. It sounds similar if you're new to the Bible. Elijah and Elisha, two completely different people. Elijah is the prophet of God that we've been looking at him and his battle and his bout with depression. He's come out of it. We ended with him finding his purpose. Purpose is so important. And purpose is what God gave him to to give him a new assignment that kept him out of the cave. And part of that new assignment was to find this young man, Elisha, and to mentor him. That's what purpose does. When we find purpose, it'll change our life. Let me, let me encourage you, find purpose in what you do. And if you're a parent, it's not just a, a dad who goes to work to, to provide for his kids. No, no, man, we, we are the priest of our home. There is a responsibility. There is purpose in what we do. And when we discover that purpose of being a priest of our home and a, a leader in our home as men, that can change everything about our life. Volunteering here at the church, if you're serving at River Kids or, or Royal Rangers, let me tell you something. The week you serve in River Kids, I would, if I was on that team, I would want the kids to be so excited when it was my turn to serve. Purpose. I'll never forget at six years old when my Sunday school teacher came to my house for my birthday party and showed up. Sister De Jesus. Our church was in southwest Detroit, grew up at Grace Assembly of God, and I'll never forget when Sister Dehesu showed up at my house for a birthday party, unannounced. I'll never, ever forget that. Why? She had purpose. It wasn't a thing she had to do because Pastor Brown was asking people to do it. She had purpose. She introduced me to King David, which you guys know today is my my hero and my go-to guy. That would have never happened if she just looked at her job as just serving so they would quit announcing that they need help. Purpose. We need to find purpose in what we do. And the worship team and on and on and on. Purpose. And the enemy wants to get us to thinking it's not important. It's just serving a role. No, 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 no. We discover purpose. It is powerful. The power of purpose has a lot to do with today because Elisha was finding his purpose. And so Elisha gets to the end of their life, at the end of this chapter, and Elijah said, I'm getting ready to be taken away from you. You're going to be on your own. It's your turn. What do you want from God? Imagine that. Ask what you want from God. What do you want right now? And I'll give it to you. What would you say if God said that? Ask me right now, what would you want? What would you say? Healing. What would you say if God said that? This man looked at Elijah in verse 12, and he said, Elijah, I want a double portion of what you have. I I want to do everything you did, but I want to do it double. I want to become double of what you've done. 
Do I got any hungry people today at 16650 that says, God, I, I want all that you've got for me, but I want even greater. I want to do double than what I can even see myself doing. Starts with that hunger. And Elijah said, there's one condition and you can have it. It's a hard thing, by the way. There's only one thing that I'm going to ask for you to do, and that is to stick with me to the end. Don't get stuck. Don't get stuck. Don't stop. Don't get in this cycle of coming to church for a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, two months, six months, and you're on fire. Then you stop and you back off. Elijah said, don't do that. If you do that, if you get stuck in the cycle and you stop, you're not going to get your double portion. So there's only one thing I'm going to ask you to do is follow me to the end. Hang on to the end. And Elisha said, okay. So we pick up chapter 2, verse 1. I just want to read these two verses, and then we're going to go. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind. One of the most dramatic stories in the Bible, by the way, is this one right here. That Elisha, his, his predecessor, he went with Elijah, and they went to Gilgal. Everybody say Gilgal. Then Elisha said to, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, and this is what I want you to see yourself. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. I don't want to stay here at Gilgal. I don't want to stay here no more. I don't want to be stuck in this cycle. I want to follow you all the way. And so Elijah takes the young man to four different cities four different levels as he takes them to the promised land. And I want to talk about them today. Thank you, Lord, for your presence and for leaving this story for us to look at today, God, as we are wanting to break the cycle, unhealthy patterns, Father, in our minds and in our hearts today, I pray that you'd anoint me to preach and to speak your word and anoint our hearts and ears to hear your word today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated today. Grab a seat. See yourself in Elisha's shoes today. He says, I want you to stay here at Gilgal. Before I go further with Elisha, as I told you, I want you to see yourself in Elisha. Let me just again show you something here that I've never seen, never heard preached, but uh, since we've been studying Elijah and his, his bout with discouragement, his bout with depression, there's something that stood out to me here, and a case could be made that every time you read this chapter, there's this little sentence that Elijah the prophet says to Elisha. And he says this, he says, stay here, for I'm going to go on to the next one. And when I began to read that, I couldn't help but to think, given Elijah's history, that could it be that Elijah once again now realizes that it's coming to the end of his ministry. He's coming to the end of him being used of God, and he's not real excited to pass the mantle off. And so I see, could it be that this pattern of discouragement and depression is coming back? So he says to Elisha what he said in chapter 19 to his other, pro, his other servant, stay here, and he ended up running into a cave. Could it be that? But what I love about Elisha is Elisha said, Elijah, I'm not going to let you go. And let me just say this. One of the things that will keep us from getting discouraged and getting back into that cave is when we get some people around us that says, hey, you ain't been at church for a while. I'm just checking on you. How you doing today? I'm not going to let you go back into this thing. Turn it into today's message. Elisha represents purpose. You see how your purpose will keep you out of the cave? He wanted to quit. He could have wanted to quit here and tried his own routine again. Started to get hurt. Start, and that's what the enemy again. Here goes another cycle. This isn't my message, but it's good, so let's go with it. The enemy tries to get us offended. It's the same old cycle. The enemy tries to get us whatever, discouraged. And there we are wanting to detach. You stay here. But his purpose said, I'm not going to let you go. See, when we have purpose, your purpose won't let you go. Your purpose will not let you go. When we discover purpose in our everyday thing. Man, I thought that was good. And Elisha said, I'm not going to let you go. So they go to the first place that is Gilgal. And this represents here, 
usually when you preach this, it's four different things, but man, as I begin to pick this apart, God began to speak to me, and this one right here is what gets so many of us believers and followers of Christ, is this very first place called Gilgal. I'm going to call it just enough. Gilgal represents just enough, just enough of God. Gilgal, actually the meaning of the word Gilgal is round or a wheel to go around. Someone say cycle. Gilgal means cycle. It means round, round stone. It means to go around and around. I begin to look at it. It can mean that to just keep going around this cycle. And as I begin to look at Gilgal, Gilgal, this is not the same Gilgal that Joshua stopped at when they went into the promised land. This is Gilgal in Deuteronomy chapter 11 where Moses gives a speech and he says, and he t- talks about what God has for them in the promised land. In other words, He starts off by saying, we are here at Gilgal, which is on this side of the Jordan. Gilgal is that place where we're closer to Egypt than we are to the promised land. Gilgal is when we got just enough of God to get us out of Egypt, but not enough of God to get us into our promised land. Is anybody here today? Is anybody here today? Gilgal, I'm out of Egypt, Pastor Eddie. I'm not in bondage no more. Yeah, but you camped out right there at the very first city, and you're nowhere near where God has for you to go. Is anybody listening today? And so we get stuck in this cycle where it's good enough, I'm better than what I used to be. I'm at least coming to church. And so we got enough of God to come to church, but not enough of God to worship when we're at church. We got enough of God to get there, but we're not got enough of God to meet with them throughout the week. Is anybody here today? This is Gilgal. This is where many of us are. Gilgal. Well, we got too much of God to have an affair, but not enough of God to keep us off the websites. Just enough of God that we won't actually do this thing, but our hearts are so far to run away. I got just enough of God so I don't get turned up at the party, but not enough of God to leave it alone and walk away from it. Just enough of God. This is Gilgal. Just enough of God where I won't take my paycheck and go to the casino and blow it, but not enough of God to make him first in my tithe and offering. This is, this is Gilgal. You're saved. Your spirit is saved, bro. If you died, you'd go right to heaven. Your spirit is saved. You are saved. But that ungenerated mind, unrenewed mind and soul, mind, will, and emotions is so messed up. If that's you, you're at Gilgal. Gilgal. Gilgal is the place where the children of Israel wandered for 40 years. They weren't in Egypt, but there were times when they wished they were. There were times when they said to Moses, it's better in Egypt than it is to serve Jesus. The enemy tries to get us to look at our old life as if it was all that good. First of all, it wasn't all that good. We wouldn't be here today if it was. But the enemy will will play highlight, like the highlight reel. Like when the lions, whatever they're going to do today, if we get one first down, they will show that all over on Lion at the end at 11 o'clock tonight. (laughs) It's the the one. And if you just watch the highlight reel, you think we will win. I don't know what's going to happen today. I don't know. And the enemy will try to play back your highlight reel from B.C. before you got saved. And he'll try to tell you, remember this time? And he'll try to put a filter or two on it. Come on, somebody. And make it like it's all that. But if you really stop and take a look at your life before you came to Christ and you take those filters off, bro, it wasn't that good. I said, Gilgal. Gilgal, where we just are just there trying to just figure out where do we go next? And we're kind of we're with it, but don't have much victory in our life. There's none of, that, none of that power in our life that we see. Just wandering around, just looking to say, God, what's my purpose? I mean, I'm, I'm, out, I'm out of Egypt. And I believe in you, Jesus, but I'm in this Gilgal. And Elijah said, are you going to be like the rest of the Christians and just say yes to Jesus, and then take this little step and just stay right here. 
But I love what Elisha said. Elisha said in verse 2, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not stop at Gilgal. How many people here today say, I'm like Elisha. I don't want to stop at Gilgal. Come on, give him a praise report today. I don't want to stop at Gilgal. I don't want to stop at Gilgal. God has more for me. God has more for me than to just be this religious person or this person that now has changed my schedule and I go to church on Sunday. Listen, God doesn't want to change our schedule. He wants to change our life. And and this message is about that today. It's about not getting stuck and, and, and complacent in our faith and in our walk with God where we think we, we just have enough, man. We just have enough. And that's one of the things the enemy tries to do. Yeah, I'm better than I used to be, yeah. But we need to be saying, God, what do you got for me? I, I, I want to be like Elisha. I, I want to go to that next level. I want to go to that next level. How many want to go to your next level in your faith today? How, how many want to go to your next level in your faith today? How many of you at home want to go to that next level in your faith? You, you got you to gotta have that hunger if you don't. And that's one of the most discouraging. If I can be honest with you, one of the most discouraging things as a, as a pastor is, is when you see folks that, you know, don't have the hunger and desire. And for years, I didn't. And my mom and dad tried everything. And now I know how they feel. <laughs> just parents, I tell Miranda, this little guy is just going to show you a lot of things. Miranda had her baby, our first grandson. That's what I love watching young parents is we discover a lot of things, don't we? A lot of things that mom and dad said, it actually was true. <laughs> And uh, sometimes it's a payback, amen. I don't know. It a, but we learn a lot of things when we're parents. And we learn, one of the things I'm lear- I've learned as a pastor is how mom and dad wanted me to follow God and tried everything. And it just, I just wasn't with it. I just wouldn't, I just, I was in a cycle and I just wouldn't go to that next level in my faith. Or wouldn't go at all. I wouldn't get saved. I would come to church because it was something that I had to do as a teenager growing up in the house. And this is the danger thing about it. Uh, young people, but for everybody, I don't know, you can listen to this, I don't know where you are, but if we don't learn to progress in our faith as it, as it means to get closer to the Lord and to grow in our faith, you will get so tired of just being in Gilgal, you're going to see nothing happen, you're going to get discouraged, and then soon you, it's easier to go back to Egypt because it's right there than to go on to God. We look around and all of a sudden people are gone, physically and spiritually. It's a trick of the enemy to get us stuck here in Gilgal and to get us stuck there. And so many just stayed there. And Elisha says, I'm ready to go on. We've seen it over 20 years of ministry. So many people, um, for everyone that has gotten saved, there's probably two or three that we have seen, if not more, over 20 years that are not even walking with the Lord anymore. It's something that happens. It's a, it's a casualty of the faith. And It's real. Hebrews tells us so many warnings of don't drift from what you've heard. Don't neglect your salvation. Don't neglect it. Don't drift. Don't just put it in cruise control. Don't just hang out at Gilgal and think, you know, we're going to be okay because I said that prayer. Listen, the enemy wants so bad to get us back. He wants to get us so bad back into Egypt, and he'll try anything. But when we're that close to Egypt, it's so easy for him to take us back. We need to not say, can I do this and still be saved? Can I do this and still be a Christian? We need to get rid of that mindset and say, how far can I go and be like Christ? How far can I go and be like Jesus? I want my shadow to heal people when I walk by and, and pray for people. I want to be like Peter. We have such an anointing on his life. As he was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell in Acts chapter 10 and people got filled with the Holy Spirit just by sitting in church. I want that kind of power, that kind of uh, anointing on my life. That's that double portion. That's that double portion stuff that we'll never ever get when we just hang out at Gilgal. There's a lot of people in Gilgal, a lot of people. You'll see it in the sports world. We'll make a little touchdown, and we kind of, you know, and that's cool. I love giving props to God, but, man, it's so much more than just the man upstairs and, and, and just, you know, I pray to him. No, 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 God's saying, I want you to leave Gilgal. I want you to come to the next step. I want you to come a little further. And Elisha said, that's me. I want to go to the next thing. And so as we leave Gilgal, Elijah took him to a place called Bethel. Bethel is the place of the altar. 
This is what we got to learn as we're headed to our promised land. This is the next thing when you're at Gilgal, as you're headed towards your double portion, as you're headed toward what God has for you, leaving a legacy. This is Elijah leaving a legacy to Elisha. This is we watched as Queen Elizabeth passed away this past week, and all they have been talking about is legacy. Who's going to take the throne? And we know it's, it's uh, her son and is the king now, but one of the questions is, is he going to have the same character as she did? She was an awesome woman, an awesome woman of faith who talked about the life of Jesus at her last Christmas speech. I had it written down. She recognized that Jesus Christ and his teachings have changed the lives of billions of people. And in in his teachings, men find the light of life. And she said, I have followed that light. And Jesus is my Lord. The queen has said that Jesus is my Lord and has guided my life to rule this kingdom. And she's known for legacy. She's known for that. I love that. Hallelujah. But Elijah is wanting to leave a legacy to Elisha, but he's teaching him some things. And he says, one of them, you got to get out of Gilgal, man. You got to get out of that little, you know, little thing that just because you go to church or just because you read the Bible every now and then you know the songs, man. No, no, no. You need to learn to worship. Learn to engage. Learn to get in your word at the week. I learned Bethel is a place of the altar. The word Bethel actually means a house of God. But it is where Abraham and again his sons, every time they came to Bethel, they built an altar there. Because the house of God isn't supposed to just be a religious place. It's a place where we encounter God. It's a place where we meet with God regularly. You get filled up here so you can go back into your your community, your families, and into your lives filled up with the presence of God. We pray and we break the enemy's cycles and patterns over our lives. That's what happens when we encounter God. Bethel was a place where they used to store the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. This is the very first thing that we must learn as Christians that Elijah is telling Elisha. This is the first thing that's going to keep you out of Gilgal. Is you got to learn to build an altar. you got to learn to have those moments where you can encounter the presence of God. I love when Jesus called his first disciples in Mark chapter 3. I want you to look at this. It says, Jesus... He appointed the 12. Here he is. He's calling his 12 disciples that they might be with him and that he may send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. And if I would ask you today, you know, what's the first thing that Jesus expected of his disciples? Why did he call the 12? Why did he call us? What are we, what's expected of us as followers of Christ according to this verse? Many would say, oh, it's, it's to send out to preach. It's to, it's to go out to preach. Amen. But no, it's not. Look at the very first thing. The very first thing, so that they might be with him. Jesus said, this is the first reason why I've called you. Wasn't it just to come out of Egypt and to share your testimony? That's great. I didn't heal you and bring you out of a life of abuse just for you to tell your story. That's great. That's powerful. I didn't bring you out of Egypt so you can even serve somewhere as good as that is. That's not your purpose. The first purpose of us as believers of why God has called us so that we might be with him. So we can be with him. Being a Christian is not about doing, it's about being. It's not about doing, but it's about becoming. Who are we becoming like? Hopefully you come to River of Life and you hear the word of God. You get that message and you understand. But I, I wonder how many churches focus on just do's and don'ts and, and, and religious things. And it gets away from the true purpose for us to slow down and be with Jesus. To be with him. Just to stop. you got to learn how to do that. Build an altar. Build an altar at work. I drove a truck for years, so I would build a, an altar um, Hypothetically, I wouldn't actually carry rocks around and build an altar at Kroger's parking lot. Wouldn't be a bad idea. <clears throat> but uh, you'd see me, my truck be in the back, and I would just be praying to God and learn to just build that altar. But that's where hearts are changed. That's where transformation takes place, is spending time with the Lord and building those altars. 
and saying, God, what do you want to say to me? This is what I pray before I preach. I get up here and preach a sermon. And I mean, I could do that. It's easy. Been serving God for a while. I can open the Bible and pretty much just, you know, give you something. But I pray every week, God, what do you want me to say to your people? What do they want to hear? He speaks to me at the altars because I build that altar. That's where God, are you needing direction in your life? Are you needing confirmation? You need an instruction? It's gonna come at an altar. And Elijah said, if you're gonna take my place, if you're gonna be the next prophet, brother, you gotta learn how to build an altar. You gotta learn how to, how to build an altar and spend time and, and seek me and call on my name. Jeremiah says, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. How many would admit that there's some things you don't know that you wish you knew? Right there, that scripture says, call to me and I will answer and I will tell you of great and mighty things that you know it's not. You don't know it. And I don't tell you on purpose so that you would seek me. Elijah said, Elisha, you gotta learn to build an altar. And as we spend time at the altar, church, please listen. As we spend time at the altar, meaning here or your personal prayer time, that is when we are changed. That's how we are changed. Transformation takes place. I can get you into every discipleship class until I'm blue in the face. I can preach on prayer and fasting. I can bring in Stephen Furtick. I can bring in whoever your greatest preacher is and bring him up here and have him preach. And it will, we'll take notes. We'll have goosebumps. But we will not change. Only when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of our heart. Only when he gets a hold of our heart, only when he gets into our life and begins to change us, then we will want to get to the house of God. Then we will want to pray. I could teach on prayer with charts and pictures and inspirational quotes and tell you great stories of James, the brother of Christ, who wrote the book of James. They called him Camel Knees because he would spend so long a time on his knees praying that he built calluses on his knees everywhere he went. Church tradition tells us that he was just a known for a man of prayer. That inspires me. But if I'm honest, that inspiration leaves by Monday morning. When God begins to do a work in my life and I get down and I say, God, I'm going to spend time with you at the altar and I begin to be intentional, God begins to say, I've been waiting on you, Eddie. I've been waiting on you. And then the transformation begins to take place. I love this. The being a, what do I have that quote? Being a, a follower of a rabbi was never to only know what he knew but to become as he was. That was the whole ancient tradition of having followers that rabbis have. It was never to just know information. And we, we love classes, and I'm all for classes, and information is good. But the goal of a Christian, our purpose, is not to just have information and, and to know what Jesus knew, but to become like Jesus was. Woo, that's good but to become like he was. We gotta leave Gilgal. Gilgal is when we, people can't really tell how much we look like Jesus. They really can't tell how, how if, we're, if we've been changed and transformed, that's Gilgal. But as we spend time in Bethel, as we begin to build those altars, and we begin to get into our word, we begin to spend time there, that change begins to happen. I'll never forget my first opportunity to preach was uh, actually to, to teach, whatever you want to call it. It was at a soup kitchen, my very first opportunity. It was at a soup kitchen in Ecorse, my old neighborhood, um, right there where, man, I did everything I wasn't supposed to do. It's amazing how God will just allow you opportunities. And I was asked to just come share my faith at a soup kitchen, just share the word. And I remember getting, uh, running, going there and someone heard about it. I guess she told some people in the neighborhood. And one of my... Uh, best friend's little cousin who was also used to run around with us. He was a young guy. He was probably about 13 at that time, and we were all in our older teens, and we were just running the streets, being knuckleheads. Well, he was one of the young bucks coming up, and he heard that I was there sharing my faith on Wednesday morning. Now, you knew it was God to get this dude up in the morning, because his life didn't start at that time. He was probably, he was much older. He was probably uh, 19, and out partying and stuff, and life don't start when you're living that kind of life until like 10 a.m. 
<laughs> and so if you want to catch somebody that's dealing with drugs or alcohol, get them in the morning. They're home. And so, but he came down to the soup kitchen. And he, he walked in the door, and I was shocked to see him. And Melinda and I was there with him. He looked at me, he stopped, and I said, hey, what's going on, man? I ain't seen him in a while. He just stared at me. He goes, man, you even look different. And I said, what you talking about, man? He goes, you look different. You're like glowing, man. And I'm like, okay, this guy's still buzzing from last night. I'm telling you right now. (laughs) And he goes, man, you even look. I said, man, that's just Jesus on me. He goes, man, man, that's amazing. And he come in and he sat down and he just listened. And I have, and the thing is, is you can't tell when you spend time with Jesus. You really won't be able to tell when you're growing as much as other people will begin to tell when you're growing. Sometimes the enemy wants you, to, wants you to focus on how you're not growing. Focus on how you're still struggling. Focus on how you're not all there. He tries to get us to focus on that more and then, then what God has been doing in our life. But you won't find that out until we get out of Gilgal and we start spending time with the Lord. Then that transformation begins to take place. When Moses' face began to shine, the Bible says he did not even realize it, but other people did. And they began to say, man, put a veil on your face. Your face is shining. Moses said, my face is shining. He didn't even realize it because he spent so much time with the Lord. That change begins to happen as we're in Bethel. Hallelujah, our hearts are changed. Okay, then he says, if you want to continue to get to that promised land, he says, you're going to have to go to Jericho. The place of battle. (laughs) This is where a lot of people, man, they don't like it. They don't like the fight, spiritual fights. They don't like the the warfare part. But God is, Elijah is telling Elisha, if you want to get to that promised land, if you want to get that double portion, you got to come out of Gilgal, learn to build an altar. And by the way, take that altar with you because it will travel. Learn to take that altar with you everywhere you go. But I also got to take you to one more place before we go to Jordan, and that is to Jericho. Jericho is the place of battle. We know it from Joshua's story and how he came there in Joshua. It was the first battle of Israel. But this is where you learn how to fight. And I used to think I knew how to fight before I become a Christian. Learn Growing up in e-course, you'll learn to fight. But when you become a Christian, you got to learn to fight all over again. Because it's a different way to fight. You fight the devil, but you can't fight like the devil. I said, you got to fight the devil, but you can't fight like the devil. <laughs> it don't work to cuss out the devil in Jesus' name. How I many know? It don't work. you you got to learn to fight a new battle. And Joshua was a commander of the army. He was a, a man's man. He was a warrior. He was a fighter. He was a military man. And he goes to Jericho, and he looks at it, he goes, man, I could take that down. And God said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go down. I want you to suit up. I want you to get your army, but I want you to go down, but I just want you to walk around and don't say a word. You got to learn to shut your mouth to win some victories. Come on, somebody. Can I say that again? You got to learn to shut your mouth sometimes to win some victories. What's God's doing? He's trying to teach you to fight. Last time you just want to go off on somebody and feel good doing it. I'm sorry, but I got to let you know. So we get the head going and look out, baby, here it comes. God says that might have worked when you was in the streets, but it's not going to work. That devil ain't impressed with that. Because you ain't fighting with your coworker, You're not fighting with that family member. The Bible says you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers. There's a spirit behind your problem. Somebody needs to write that down. There's a spirit. There's a spirit behind your problem. There's a power behind your problem. And it's a principality. It's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual power behind that problem. And Elijah said, I got to show you how to fight. You got, you got to know how to fight, totally different than what you're used to. You got to learn how to keep that mouth shut and learn, here it is, to trust me. Because Joshua said, I ain't, what do you mean walk around here and just be quiet? Joshua said, I don't like that. that that's not where I'm from. But the Jericho is where you learn to trust God. Write that down. It's where you learn to trust God. It's easy to say God. To say you believe in God, it's easy to worship God, to sing the songs of God, to read the book of God, but it's an entirely different thing to trust 
God. Somebody know what I'm talking about here today. When everything in you is wanting you to do this, but God is saying, I want you to do that. And you're tempted, and there's the tension that you're going to live in. And if you're in that tension right now, when you can see something, if I just do this, then this, this, this will happen. But God isn't giving you peace, and you're just stuck, and you're just in that tension. I, I, God, you want me to do this, and he ain't saying nothing. And we're like, God, just tell me what to do, but he ain't saying nothing. If you're living in that tension, you're at Jericho. You're at Jericho. Jericho is where the walls come down. Jericho are the walls that comes down. I believe this is, again, a place where Elijah said, Elisha, stay here. He was trying to leave his servant again. And if I can just switch back over to Elijah and learn another powerful lesson, maybe Elijah has been hurt by previous servants, by previous relationships, so he has a guard that he puts up, and he puts it up as a safety mechanism. And some of you have been hurt in relationships, and so you won't let nobody near you, and you think you're putting on a safety mechanism. You think you're putting on a seatbelt when really you're putting on a straitjacket in the spirit because the Lord is getting you more into bondage than you think at Jericho. Walls are going up. You won't let nobody in. You won't let nobody talk to you, give you counsel, give you advice because you've been hurt by so many people and you put your own walls up. Think you're putting on a safety. That's just a safety mechanism. I got to protect myself, bro. No, you're not putting on a a seatbelt. You're putting on a straitjacket. And now you're locked. He's got you locked. You're walking around church like this. You're walking around life like this. Well, I'm not getting hurt. Yeah, you ain't doing nothing for nobody. You're in bondage. And you think you're, you know, you're singing these songs, get up, get up, get up, get up out of here. You're like, yeah, why can't I worship? Because you got a straitjacket on. Why can't I greet somebody? Why can't I hug somebody? Why can't I feel love and get embraced? Because you got some walls up, brother. And Elijah says, in order for me to take you to your Jordan, you got to learn to fight. You got to learn to let them walls come down. This is also where he learned to fight by submitting to authority. I stepped into something there. Joshua met a man standing in front of him and he said, are you with me? He pulled his sword. Are you on my side? Are you for me or are you against me? Are you a Republican or are you a Democrat? Isn't that what we like to find out on people? And here's the big debate. Joshua asked God that, are you for me and my values and my morals and my belief system and my political beliefs? Are you with me or are you on their side? Because we're about to get down right now with my bad self. And here's a word from the Lord. The angel of the Lord said, Joshua, lean in. I'm about to set you free, brother. Here's your answer. I'm with neither. <laughs> he said, Joshua, I'm not on either one of y'all's man-made sides. I can care less if you're riding a donkey or if you're riding an elephant. He said that to Joshua. He said, I'm not in your political battles. I'm not in the things you think I'm in. Elijah, you thought I was in the whirlwind. I wasn't about all that. All you ever knew was a whirlwind. So you go to a church, and if it don't have the whirlwind, oh, this ain't God. I got to get over because I'm used to the whirlwind. God says, I'm trying to bring you into something deeper and speak to you in a small, still voice. But I can't get you at Bethel. You won't build an altar. You're running around over here. You're running around over there. And I'm saying, I got to get you in Bethel before I can get you into Jericho. Somebody say, speak to me, Holy Spirit. Speak to me, Holy Spirit. That's what God is saying. He says, Jericho, those walls got to come down. And that man looked at Joshua and he said, you're standing on holy ground. Take your shoes off. This is a grown military general. Grown military. He had more badges. He had all those badges. Big old sword. This is like a colonel, dude. This is like the man. And this guy says, take your shoes off. You're in the presence of one greater. And here's our problem. We don't submit to nobody. You kidding me? Come to church. What's this preacher got with his yellow shirt? What's this dude going to tell me? What's he, like 30? (laughs) He don't know how it is to raise teenagers. He don't know how it is to struggle with addiction. 
He don't know how it is to struggle with depression. He don't know how it is to be on the other side of the tracks and be grown up all of his life and labeled whenever he got around other circles and they found out he was from the inner city. He don't know how it is. He don't wrestle with the things I've wrestled with. He's up there in church with his big old nice church talking about go to the stream and get some coffee. He don't know what I've been battling with in my life. You gotta get them walls down, brother. Because I don't got time to tell you my story. You better ask somebody. And it ain't about my story, it's about your story. God is saying, when are you going to have a story? When are you going to let me to lead you into that next season? You got to get them walls down, brother. You got to get them walls down that you think you're up for your protection, but they're a straitjacket. Somebody help me preach this morning. But when the hands, when the straitjacket comes down, when you get that straitjacket off, hands go up. No one got to teach you to worship. I tell them down at Life Challenge. I said, when I got high, nobody had to beg me to get high. Nobody had to, please, Eddie, come get high. Man, we would steal aluminum siding off your house and go get high. We would get high. Some of y'all, we wouldn't have to be asked twice to go to a party. And it may not be your world. Maybe you are a workaholic. You sign up for overtime. You got to get that money. No one's got to ask you twice because it's all about the money, all about the money. Back to Abraham, you'll find out that Abraham, he built his altar, but he pitched his tent. Lot pitched his altar, but built his tent. Where are you, building a house and just pitch a tent? Or are we more like Abraham, build an altar and pitch our house? That's another message for another time. Coming to a pulpit near you. But Jericho, let me back up and close this out. Jericho is where the walls have got to come down, church. And when they come down, your hands automatically go up, man. You automatically will build an altar. And then you're ready to go to, to Jordan. When he left Bethel, he went to Jericho. And then Elisha said, let's go to Jordan. Jordan is the crossing over. And I'm going to close with this. This is where we cross over. Jordan can represent a lot of things. The river Jordan is a cutting away. It's where they were circumcised. Okay. It's another whole story. It's a spiritual thing in the New Testament that has to happen to our hearts. We have to cut away of the old flesh and sinful desires and the meology. It's all about me. America has a problem with not theology, meology. It's all about me. It's about my happiness, bro. It's about my peace. It's about my safety. Listen, if you make it about what Jesus said to do, and that is we decrease and he increase, he'll take care of us. He'll take care of us. If we learn to humble ourselves as Joshua took his shoes off, he humbled himself, a general humbled himself. And Elisha was learning that lesson is to humble ourselves. Humility is the only thing that will get us out of what our pride got us into. And then he said, now you're ready to cross over. You, you, you've been gone out of Gil, Gilgal. You got an understanding of how to build an altar. And now you know how to fight. And when I had to learn how to fight, it was different. When the enemy came at my teenagers, when my temptations was coming back from my old life, I tell these stories all the time at other places. I don't tell them a lot here, but I remember the struggles on a Friday night being sober for six months and looking at the liquor store right there in Melvindale on Dix and Schaefer or go left and go to my house and on a Friday had a pocket full of money looking at that liquor store and I remember that 40 ounce was calling my name that six pack was calling my name and just go in there and do your thing I can remember it was just as real it took everything I had to hang onto that steering wheel and let me show you what happened you ready for my deliverance story here's my huge deliverance story all of a sudden I hit the blinker and went that's a blinker and I went that way. I didn't go to that parking lot. There was no angel. There was no podcast I was listening to. There was no nothing. It was because I've been spending time at the altar. 
and I learned I had to fight another way. And sometimes your biggest fight is simply don't be tempted. Don't put yourself in an area where you're going to be tempted. Oh, God, get me out of this one. I'm wanting to fall into sexual sin. What are you doing in the parking lot at 1 o'clock in the morning with your girlfriend behind that building with the lights off listening to Barry White? What do you think's going to happen? Deliver me from sexual sin. Get off the website, brother. Deliver me from this substance. Don't roll it up. Quit buying it. Get rid of it. I need you to fight like the God wants you to fight. And get rid of it. Get rid of it. Go after God. Sometimes it's not, it's not deliverance. It's discipline. It's not deliverance. It's persistence. And that's what Elijah's teaching Elisha. Come on, are you ready to leave Gilgal? Are you ready to build an altar? Are you ready to fight? That's spiritual warfare. And then Elisha made it, and they, they crossed over the Jordan. How many's ready to cross over? I don't know who this message is for today. How many's wanting to cross over in your life? You need to cross over. Come on, how many's ready to cross over today? How many's ready to cross? I don't know where you are. You at, Gil, you at Gilgal? You got, you got a little bit of a walk, but you got it all today. But I love what he did is he picked up the mantle. The whirlwind came, separated Elijah and Elisha. Elijah went up in a whirlwind. And he's like, well, this is like a tornado. This was something amazing that happened. And Elijah's just standing there. But he looks over and he sees something in the bushes. He walks over and he says, what is this? He picks it up and it's Elijah's mantle, which was like a vest. It represented he was the prophet of the Lord. And Elisha does something very interesting. He picks it up, he rolls it up, he goes back to the Jordan, what he just crossed over from. And he says, where is the God of Elijah? And he hits the ground, and the Jordan River opened up. And he crosses back over into the wilderness. And he goes back to Bethel, Jericho, goes back to Bethel, goes all the way to Gilgal. Oh, I'm going to come back here. Is Gilgal back here? He goes all the way back to Gilgal, and he sets up his headquarters. See how good the camera guys are. He sets up his headquarters in Gilgal. Not in Jordan, in Gilgal. Why? Because he has something different. He has the anointing. He has the anointing. The only way you can go back to that old life, God is going to call you back to that old life. But don't go back there unless you have that mantle. Don't go back there unless you have that anointing. Then you can walk right down the streets of crack cocaine, whatever it was that you may have a problem with, and you can say, devil, you ain't got nothing in me because I got the mantle. I got the mantle. I got the anointing. I got the anointing. I got the anointing. You can't have me. I'm going to get somebody out. I'm going I'm to pull somebody out. A gal. I'm going to pull you out of that crack house. I'm going to pull you out of that addiction. I'm going to pull you out of that depression. I'm going to pull you out of that cave, brother, because I got the mantle. Somebody say, I want the mantle. I want the mantle. Come on, if you want that mantle, stand on your feet today. If you want that mantle of God, stand on your feet today. Lift your hands to the Lord. Father, we thank you for this message today. We thank you for this message today. We thank you for the story that you left in 2 Kings for me to preach today at September 11th, 2022. And there's people watching, people standing in this building that need to come out of Kilgal. It needs to come out of Kilgal. Some of you have come to Bethel. You might be at Jericho right now. You've been in a fight for a long time. Well, I'm telling you, notice that Jericho came right before Jordan, right before the crossing. If you're in a battle, I want you to know the battle comes right before the blessing. Well, amen and amen. I pray that message was a blessing to you, that you received some sort of encouragement or word of instruction from the Lord. That's our prayer at River of Life, that every time you tune in, that God speaks directly to your heart. Well, this is Pastor Eddie again. Just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast and remind you that every Tuesday, a new message is uploaded. Also, if you want to watch one of our services, head over to our YouTube channel. It's River of Life Church, a church of his presence, his promises, and all people, and you can watch one of our services that way as well. So God bless you. I pray God's presence be with you uh, for the rest of the week. Amen.